Greetings and welcome. My name is James White. We have undertaken a study of the relationship of Islam and Christianity. We do so out of the conviction that we feel that is absolutely necessary that Christians and Muslims, without being asked to compromise what they believe, come together and very clearly express what their faith is so that both sides can know with accuracy the beliefs of the others, and therefore we can discuss our differences. Not so we can find a way to compromise them, but to study our differences to know what the truth is. I join with Muslims who believe in truth. I just simply ask that we come together and we realize that both of us cannot possibly both be true. Why? because of the fact that Islam and Christianity say different things about God. Specifically, Christians believe that Jesus is truly God, that he is the Son of God, that he is truly deity, and that he died upon Calvary's tree as a sacrifice for sins. Islam, of course, denies these things, and Islam begins with the definition of Allah in such a fashion that he would never, ever enter into his own creation. And so we come to fundamentally different conclusions. We teach contradictory things. But, of course, Islam comes 600 years after the time of Christ. And Islam claims that Muhammad stands in that line and that Jesus himself was a Muslim. And so we need to examine these assertions. We need to examine these claims in the light of truth, in the light of history, to find out what the truth really is. Now, from the first century, Christians have proclaimed that Jesus died upon a cross outside of Jerusalem during the days of Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified by the Romans and that the Jewish leadership were complicit in bringing about his execution. We have also taught from the beginning that he was buried and that he rose again alive the third day. This is the heart of the gospel message. And when we ask the question, does history substantiate that assertion? The only answer we can give is yes, it most certainly does. Now, why would I even emphasize this? Well, my Muslim friends listening understand, but I think it's best to explain for our non-Muslim uh, viewers why it's important to talk about the historicity of the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, the Quran contains what I call 40 lonely Arabic words. 40 words that comprise Surah 4, 157. Surah 4, 157 reads as follows. That they, that's in regards to the Jews, that they said in boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him, but so it was made to appear to them. And those who differ therein, are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for of a surety they killed him not. The very next ayah likewise says, Nay, Allah raised him up unto himself, and Allah is exalted in power and wise. This 
one ayah, Surah 4, 157, is the sole text in all of the Quran that denies the crucifixion of Jesus, or at least that's what most Muslims believe. Because you see, there is much difference of opinion. There is much doubt. The text talks about people being full of doubts. Well, anyone who reads this text in its historical context in its original language will be full of doubts because it is not a clear text in any way. And Muslim scholars have come to a number of different understandings as to what this means. We'll get into that more in a little bit later. But for now, to make sure that our Christian viewers understand, the majority of Muslims, not all, but the majority of Muslims understand Surah 4157 to teach that Jesus was not crucified. The majority believe that someone else was crucified in his place. You'll notice that it says it was, so it was made to appear to them. What was made to appear to them? Was a person made to appear to them? Was it just made to appear that Jesus was crucified? What does that mean? That is one of the big questions we need to get into. But most Muslims believe that someone else, Judas, Simon of Cyrene, someone was supernaturally caused to look like Jesus so that they were the ones who were crucified, Jesus instead, in the common interpretation of the next ayah, Surah 158, was taken up into the presence of Allah. One of the reasons for this comes from the Islamic understanding of who a prophet or an apostle is. What I mean by that is that Muslims really struggle with the idea that a prophet of Allah could die in such a demeaning fashion as the crucifixion. And there is no question that crucifixion is a horrific death. There is no question that throughout the entire ancient world, crucifixion was a watchword for the worst possible death that one could ever suffer. And so Muslims believe that if Jesus was a Rasul, an apostle, that Allah would not allow him to die in such an ignoble fashion. And because of that, then they believe that he has been taken up into the presence of Allah and it was not Jesus Christ who died upon the cross. Now, we're going to take time to look very carefully at Surah 4157. But right now, for our Christian viewers and listeners, we just need to understand why is it that I would take the time I'm going to take to establish that Christians have always taught and that all of the available historical information points to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That in other words, Muhammad's words in Surah 4, 157 stand without any historical foundation at all upon which to stand. That's why we're going to take the time to do that. Now, there are three sources of information that come to us from the first century that are relevant to our study today. We obviously have the New Testament. We then have Christian writings that exist outside the New Testament, but which come within the first hundred years after the time of the crucifixion. And then we likewise have secular sources, non-Christian, non-religious sources that we can examine. And when we look at this, I want to remind my Muslim listeners of this fact. How much time passed 
before we have the first documentary evidence of almost anything that we can trust about the life of Muhammad? Is it not true that the great Hadith collections such as Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih al-Muslim come from 200 years after the events that they narrate? And yet Muslims, of course, trust these particular collections, not seeing 200 years as a great uh, impasse that cannot be gotten over. And so when I talk about the evidence for the crucifixion, I want to point out that this evidence comes from much, much closer to the time of Jesus than anything a Muslim has in regards to the life of Muhammad. And so I would ask you, are you being consistent if you question the validity of this information while accepting the information you find about Muhammad in your early documentary sources? We need to be consistent. We need to apply the same standards to both sides. Let's start with the New Testament. It is not really a question that the New Testament teaches that Jesus Christ died upon a cross. I realize there are some Muslim apologists who, who use liberal theology to try to find a way around the New Testament teaching and, and questioning whether that is actually central, but anyone who's actually read the New Testament sees that the, all of the Gospels, that Paul's writings, Peter's writings, are all based upon an acknowledgement of what God has done in Jesus Christ and that part of what he has done is he has verified that Jesus was the Son of God by raising him from the dead. And how did he become dead? He died upon Calvary's tree as a sacrifice for sins. In fact, one of the earliest confessions that we know of in the Christian faith is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Many scholars, even the most liberal scholars, recognize that the words found at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 go back to literally within months of the time of the crucifixion itself. And there the Apostle Paul talks about what he had delivered to the Corinthians, how that Jesus Christ had died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas, he was seen by the twelve, the apostles, and he was seen by more than 500 brethren at one time. This was the confession of faith that bound Christians together, and it was all about the cross as the center point of history itself. The testimony of the New Testament cannot easily be dismissed. For the dating of the New Testament, though it is very common for liberal scholars to try to make it as, as late in the first century as possible, when you really think about it, there's no question that Paul's writings are from the late 40s and 50s. We can actually identify specific people that he makes reference to and when they lived through archaeological means. Besides that, when we look at the Gospels, when we look, for example, at Luke and Acts, I would suggest to you that it is quite probable that the reason Luke wrote what he wrote was to, to file these papers, to give this story to the court that was trying the Apostle Paul. If you've read the end of the book of Acts, right at the end, Paul is waiting for trial, and then the book ends. And people wonder, why does it end then? Why doesn't it tell us what happened to Paul? Well, if this was written in defense of Paul to be given to the court, that would make sense. And if that's the case, then we know how early it was written, and most scholars feel Mark came before Luke. So this would push back the Gospels into within just a matter of years, D clearly during the lifetime of eyewitnesses 
So the idea that people were just making these things up out of whole cloth makes no sense because there would be eyewitnesses around to contradict any changes in the gospel message. And so you have the New Testament witness that Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary. It is a united witness. It is a clear witness. And the only way you can attack that witness is to embrace liberal theology, the very same liberal theology that would dismiss every word of Muhammad and the Quran. And you cannot embrace that kind of worldview and remain a consistent Muslim. And so you have the testimony of the New Testament. Indeed, we might even add the testimony of the prophecies found in the Old Testament. But beyond that, we also have secular sources, non-religious sources. To what do I refer? Well, you may be aware of the fact that there are just a couple of references found in historical sources that make mention of Jesus and the means of his death. Now, it is actually surprising that there are. Think of how many people lived and died, and, and their names are never recorded in history. And Palestine was not exactly the central area of Roman concern. In fact, uh, the Romans considered the Jews to be uh, rather an offensive people, and, and it didn't pay much attention to what took place in that particular part of the world. But we do have a couple of references. We have the Roman historian Tacitus. He's writing in less than 100 years after the time of Christ. And he makes a rather derogatory reference to the Christian movement. And he makes reference to the fact that Jesus died under Pontius Pilate, that he in fact specifically mentions the name of Pontius Pilate and that he had been executed so here is a historical source, just a Roman, a Roman historian who's recording the fact that this religious group called the Christians had come about, and he's telling about how they came about, and that their founder had been executed under Pontius Pilate. That confirms exactly what the Gospels had said. And there's another historian by the name of Josephus, the Jewish historian, who wrote an extensive set of works giving the history of the Jewish people. He likewise has a brief reference to Jesus. Now, many scholars believe that later Christians have had some influence upon Josephus' references, and maybe, he, maybe they did. But it is also probably very clear in Josephus that the element about his being crucified on a cross was original with Josephus. And so we have Tacitus and Josephus coming within 100 years of the crucifixion. Neither of them are Christians, and they don't have any problem in referring to the crucifixion of Christ. Now, if it didn't happen, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why would secular people do that? Well, if you believe in the substitution theory, that is, someone was substituted to look like Jesus, you'd say, well, because Allah made someone to look like Jesus. May I suggest something to you that maybe you've not thought of before? If you embrace the idea that Allah made someone else look like Jesus, first of all, is that honest? Does Allah do things like that? And secondly, if that's really the case, are you not saying that Allah mistakenly started Christianity? Are you not saying that it was the action of Allah that created the myth of the crucifixion? 
That does not seem to make much sense to me. That's why I recognize there are Islamic scholars who want to avoid the substitution theory completely, but that's what the majority of Muslims believe. Keep that in mind as we think about that. But I mentioned to you that we had the New Testament, and it's united in its testimony in regards to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then we have the historical, the secular sources. But there were also Christian writings that came into existence within 100 years. Again, much closer to the time of Christ, much closer to the events than anything a Muslim has about Muhammad. And what do those Christian writings say? Well, they are very clear in their assertions. They show no recognition whatsoever of any denial of the crucifixion. It is very clear from their, their viewpoint that Jesus Christ died upon a cross. Let me give you some citations here. A scant 65 years after the crucifixion, the elders of the church at Rome wrote to the church at Corinth. This letter is traditionally called First Clement, dating around AD 96. Listen to these words from First Clement. Because of the love he had for us, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in accordance with God's will, gave his blood for us and his flesh for our flesh and his life for our lives. This is only 65 years after the crucifixion long earlier than the earliest sources any Muslim has for the life of Muhammad. In section 7 of the same letter, he said, Let us fix our eyes on the blood of Christ and understand how precious it is to his Father. Clear evidence. Then, about 77 years after the crucifixion, Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, was traveling to Rome to die as a martyr. And in those letters he wrote, we've already seen that Ignatius gave great testimony to the deity of Christ. But guess what? He also gave great testimony to the crucifixion and the centrality of the, Christ, of the cross as well. Notice what he said around A.D. 107. I glorify Jesus Christ. The God, notice that, the God who made you so wise. For I observe that you are established in an unshakable faith, having been nailed, as it were, to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in both body and spirit, and firmly established in love by the blood of Christ, totally convinced with regard to our Lord that he is truly of the family of David with respect to human descent, son of God, with respect to the divine will and power, truly born of a virgin, baptized by John in order that all righteousness might be fulfilled by him, truly nailed in the flesh for us under Pontius Pilate and Herod the Tetrarch. From its fruit we derive our existence, that is, from his divinely blessed suffering, in order that he might raise a banner for the ages through his resurrection, for his saints and faithful people, whether among Jews or among Gentiles, in the one body of his church. This is written only seven decades after the time of the crucifixion. And see how full the teaching is. 
You have Jesus's dual nature, son of David, son of God. You have the crucifixion, the resurrection, the unity of the people of God and the body of Christ. All of these things early on in the very first Christian writings outside the New Testament. Where is all this evolution? Where is all this corruption? No evidence of it when you go back to the actual sources. Polycarp, another of the early martyrs at this very same time, likewise makes reference to the testimony of the cross. So what do we see? If we just step back and ask the question, is there any historical evidence to support these 40 lonely Arabic words? The only place where the denial of the crucifixion takes place, that one ayah in Surah 4, 157, is there any historical evidence to substantiate this claim that comes 600 years later? And when we go to the original sources, we find out, no, there is not. Now, I hear someone in the audience <laughs> saying, oh, but wait, there were, there were the Basilidians. And, and they taught, their founder said he was taught by someone who was taught by Peter. And they taught that Judas was crucified on the cross. That's right. They are called Gnostics. And we've already talked about the Gnostics in other contexts, the Gnostics are a completely different religion. They don't even believe in one true creator, God. They believe that all of, of the physical world is evil and the spiritual world is good. And they did not believe that Jesus even had a physical body. That's why they had to come up with some explanation for the crucifixion, because it's very difficult to nail a spirit to a cross. They did not deny the crucifixion for any historical reasons. They denied the crucifixion for the simple reason that their theology did not allow them to have Jesus to have a physical body. And besides that, all of these Gnostic sources come from the second century, not the first century. They come from long after the actual events. And so... We're trying, I am trying to be fair in analyzing the claims of the Quran in Surah 4, 157. We will, in our next portion of the study, ask the question, can we even really understand what this ayah is saying? Is it perspicuous? Is it mubinun? Is it, is it clear? I believe that it is not. And we'll also ask one other question. Why do we have no Hadith sources, sources in the tradition, to explain what Muhammad said about Surah 4, 157? Why is it that over the course of 200 years, no Muslim ever remembered a single thing Muhammad ever said about this ayah. Did you know that? That's why I call these the 40 lonely Arabic words. They stand alone. They have no historical support. They don't even have commentary from Muhammad himself to explain what these words mean. And yet they are the only reason that Islam to this day denies 
the gospel of Jesus Christ and the atoning sacrifice upon the cross. That is why we must carefully examine these things. Thank you.